amazing how much better if it works if you swallow down your esophagus instead of your trachea. <clears throat> Must be something about intelligent design. <clears throat> Last week when we talked about John chapter 5, uh, we are in verses... Oh, actually, I'm on the wrong page. That's why I'm not seeing it. Uh, we, we talked about the Jesus being the judge of all the earth. Uh, and we're going to see some more about judgments today. Uh, but the next two verses actually are talking about, or three verses, are talking about two resurrections. In, uh, <clears throat> Get this up here where my bifocals can see where, I'm, where they're going. Uh, John chapter 5, verses 28 through 30, it says, Marvel not at this. Now he's talking about, he had just talked about that the Father had given Jesus the authority to have judgment over life and death, as well as judgment over the, the whole earth. <clears throat> and that we'd read about the, uh, actually last week we talked about the fact that there's coming a time, and now is, which says the dead and will hear his voice, and those that hear him will live. We talked about the people that we all start off dead in sins, that were spiritually dead, and that I was on death row for 18 years, you know, that uh, as a as a arrogant young atheist, uh, I didn't know that Jesus' blood had paid for my sins. I didn't care. Uh, but from the point where I became convinced that I needed a Savior, that I was lost, uh, and when I first trusted in him. And then at that point, I was transferred under his blood permanently. <clears throat> so I came to life spiritually. I still, I still face physical death, so that's not what he's talking about. But then he went on to say those in the graves would hear his voice, and that uh, in verse 28 he says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, and is not yet here, <clears throat> in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. It doesn't say they're all going to be resurrected and then sorted out, which, I mean, from a practical viewpoint, you might think, why not just do one resurrection and sort them out? But it says that those that have done good be resurrected unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my mine own self do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. <clears throat> so uh, I want to pose the question, why two resurrections? Why not just bring them all out, sort them out, and say, you guys head that way, you guys are done, uh, let's move on. <clears throat> well, God didn't choose to do things that way. And most of us may just look at it and accept the fact that this is the way it works out. This is the way God chose to do things. He's God. Why should I even, why should I even pose the question? <clears throat> but in talking about this, it does seem a little odd because in some places we do see everybody together and it seems like he is sorting people out. When we talk about uh, the, in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and shall sit upon the throne of his kingdom. <clears throat> this is the beginning of the kingdom age. It's not right before heaven. It's right before the kingdom age, at the end of the tribulation. He says, you'll gather all nations be before him and shall separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. That's not talking about after a resurrection. These are living people. 
Okay, so we're going to talk about that today, too. <clears throat> In the course of talking about the two resurrections, I think it's probably appropriate to, to talk about judgments because, <clears throat> pardon me, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. What judgment? What are we talking about? Because we think of it as, as if there was only one judgment. <clears throat> There's actually a whole bunch of them. We've only got four of them to talk about this morning. Uh, so we need to talk about that. Let's, let's start with where were everybody's sins judged? Where were your sins judged? Anybody? At the cross. Okay, good. So the judgment of sin, of the whole world, sin, was done at the cross. How do I know it affected the whole world? Well, because First John chapter 2, verse 2 says that Jesus' blood is the propitiation, that means the settlement, this, this satisfaction, literally, of God's righteousness. He is the propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, that's cast iron. That's what it says. You can try to say, well, no, 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 he only died for the elect. No, he didn't. He died for the sins of the whole world. Everybody was covered with that. <clears throat> in fact, Jesus explained that later on in, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 18. We're going to talk about that. <clears throat> what other judgments? Well, there's one called the judgment seat of Christ in John chapter 5, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Which all? Well, all believers, because that's all that are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And in their case, it's not their sins that are being judged. Where were our sins judged? At the cross. The judgment seat of Christ is judging the works of believers subsequent to salvation. And we read about the details of that in 1 Corinthians 3, where he says they, that there's only one foundation in our life. It's the person of Christ, and that we build on that foundation. He says, let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Some build with gold and silver and precious stones, others with wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, that it is possible for a piece of wood to be worth more than a piece of gold. How? Well, if I had a piece of Noah's Ark and could absolutely prove that is what it was, what would be the value of that? You could not name a price. It would be the most priceless piece of wood in the world, unless you could find a piece of the wood of the cross. If you could find a piece of the cross, I mean, people would bow down and worship that thing, which is, that's why we don't have it, because that's exactly what would happen. <clears throat> but it would be worth more than any piece of gold in the world, or any amount. Of, you, it would be worshipped worldwide. Ann and I were looking at some pictures on the internet last night of different sized statues, and I just thought statues, like, I mean, you know, the Statue of Liberty, that's big. Oh, my goodness. There's, statues, there's a statue in India that is over 500 feet tall. It's huge. Uh, it's called the Statue of Unity. You can look it up. It's 575 feet, I think, 565 feet, some gigantic-sized man. It's a statue of a guy that was a politician back oh, in the 50s, I think. It's called the Statue of Unity. But, but below that, in terms of size, there's a whole bunch of statues of Buddha that are gigantic, you know, 400 feet tall, 300 feet tall, and so forth. The Statue of Liberty is a little bitty thing compared to those. And those are idols, you know. I don't, I mean, uh, the, uh, 
the one that Nebuchadnezzar had was only 90 cubits tall. That's that's uh, 45 uh, yards tall. Uh, what 100 and what would that be? 135 feet tall. That's that's still big, you know. But it's nothing compared to some of these that are out today. It's kind of a funny thing too. Buddha hated the Siddhartha Buddha, the living man, hated idols. But there's more idols made to him than any other man-made deity in the world. They're everywhere. <clears throat> I feel kind of bad for him because he hated idols. Now there's more made to him than anybody else. <clears throat> so the judgment seat of Christ judges our works. Because the test is not on the intrinsic value, how it looks. The test is whether it burns or not. It's going to be tested by fire. And the, no matter how much value you could put on that piece of wood, or if you could have some of the straw from the, the actual manger where Jesus was sleeping, if you could prove that that was it, how much would it be worth? Well, it would be priceless because of the way humans look at things. But it burns, see. And gold and silver and precious stones don't burn. And that's the, the test is whether it burns. We're going to find out more about that. <clears throat> There's the judgment of the living nations that we talked about briefly where it says that he's sits down and brings all the nations before him and separates them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. These are live people. This is not a judgment after death. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. So that's not one of them. They were all alive. But we're going to talk about that one too because it's yet to come. And then there's the final judgment. We talk about the great white throne judgment. That's in Revelation chapter 20. And we need to talk about that one because that one... <clears throat> is the final judgment. All right, as we learned in the past, all the blood sacrifices, the Old Testament from Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through the Old Testament, are looking forward to the cross, to that one sacrifice, the one blood sacrifice that Jesus made that takes away sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4 says, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Okay, there's the huge difference. They were just an innocent animal. They, they, yes, they served as a substitute for the sinner, but it was only a temporary thing. It could only cover sin. In fact, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the, the Kippur is the Hebrew word kofar is to cover. It was the Day of Covering. We, we call it the Day of Atonement, but it, the word atonement was translated from a word that means covered. That's all it is. It's a temporary covering. That's why they had to do it every year. <clears throat> they still do today. John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus said that everyone that believes on the name of the Son of God will not be condemned. That covers our future for those of us that have trusted in Christ. But he says to those that have not believed, they're condemned already. It's not saying they will be someday if they keep on not believing. They are already condemned. I was already on God's death row as a young man. And had I died at that in that case, I would have I would have been in hell today, okay. But Jesus stepped in and died in my place long before I was born. Same day He did for you. But I was condemned already. That's the point. I wasn't waiting to be condemned. I was already condemned. And had I died, then the judgment, the final judgment that we're going to talk about today, is the only thing that I could have had to look forward to. <clears throat> When I finally placed my trust in Christ because I realized that I was a condemned sinner and that I had no other hope, then I was transferred into his kingdom. I was 
placed under his blood permanently, and my position has changed forever. I'm no longer in Adam, I'm in Christ. If you want to read about the two possible positions, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, and it talks about all those in Adam died, past tense. The whole human race was in Adam. We all died with him spiritually. We're separated from God. He says, all in Christ shall be made alive. So throughout history, everyone who gets transferred into that new position in Christ will be made alive permanently. <clears throat> so what about the judgment of our works? We talked about that briefly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through, say, 10 through 15. It talks about the judgment of our works. It says, let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. For our, judge, our works will be judged by fire. Every man, his works of what sort they've built will be judged by fire. They have built of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Shall be tested by fire. And if a man's works shall be burned, it says he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. You're not in danger at the judgment seat of Christ. Your works are. If you want something that's going to last for eternity, then it needs to be built out of that which lasts for eternity. And it turns out that only the things that Jesus did through you have eternal value. If it was just something that I had a good idea and I did it, um, that doesn't have eternal value. <clears throat> if you show up for work in the morning and say, okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do for you, uh, after I've had my coffee and checked the Internet, of course. No, he's not impressed with that. He's the boss. He tells you what's up. He tells you what's on the list for today. You do what he sends you to do, that lasts for eternity, no matter what it was. I had a teacher that says, if God's called you to be a street sweeper, then don't stoop to being a king. You do what God sent you to do, that lasts for eternity. Don't grab for something else because it looks good. <clears throat> what are the rewards? I don't know. There's five crowns mentioned in Scripture, and they're named, but they're not described. Uh, the crowns, by the way, the, the word every single time when it's talking about those crowns, the word is Stephanos. It means a victor's crown. It's where we get the word Stephen and Stephanie. Uh, but it means a victor's crown, the, the wreaths that they gave to the winners in the, in the Olympic Games. It's not a king's crown. That's a different Greek word. Diatomos is that kind of a crown. It would be the same kind that Jesus it says that he's crowned with many crowns the lamb upon the throne, the this diadems. <clears throat> so what are the rewards? I don't know. There's a lot of people that have written a whole lot of books hypothesizing and extrapolating on what these rewards are. Um, I think that's not a good idea. If, if God doesn't clearly say something, then it's probably not a good idea to go out on a limb trying to describe something that God didn't describe. Anybody see these books where people claim to have died and gone to heaven and come back telling you all about it? You know what God says about it? I have not seen, neither ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things the Father has for them that love him. Oh. So God says they haven't seen it. They say they have. Let's see, who should I believe? God or them? I think I'll believe God, yeah. Doesn't take a whole lot of thought, does it? So... I'm going to have to use that as the bottom line for what these rewards are, too, because while he does name 
five crowns. He doesn't describe them. He doesn't say what it entails. Jesus did talk about some rewards, about somebody given some authority, some ruling authority during the kingdom age as a reward. I don't know if that goes to believers today or if that was to tribulation saints or because those it says they will be the ones that were uh, martyred during the tribulation it says they will be ruling with Christ during that thousand years so maybe it's just to them I don't know and that's got to be the bottom line for me I really don't know I'm going to have to wait and see he has he has decided not to tell us that's a good safe place for me to be I'll, I'll know when he tells us <clears throat> what about these judgment of the living nations <clears throat> that hasn't happened yet. Uh, if you want to briefly turn, we can read there so you can see where it happens and what context it's in. Matthew chapter 25, if you want to turn there. Please notice that Matthew chapter 25 comes immediately after Matthew chapter 24. Oh my goodness. Chad, you're really smart. Um, yeah, but the deal is in Matthew 24, Jesus describes the tribulation. Oh, that might be important. So this thing that happens in Matthew 25, <clears throat> because he's not done talking about it, he's talking about the kingdom age, which is to come immediately after the tribulation. In Matthew chapter 25, when he gets to verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. What nations? The live ones, the ones that survived the tribulation. I don't know if you've ever read through the, the book of Revelation, but you can find real quick that half of the world's population will be dead before Jesus comes back. Now there's some judgment for you. And he's going to the ones that are armed and trying to fight against him as he comes back, he's going to, it says he'll kill them with the breath of his mouth. He'll speak and, and kill all these people that are warring against him physically at that point. So you already had half the world's population dead. The biggest army on earth that ever, that's ever armed itself will be surrounding Israel, Ju uh, Jerusalem actually, and Jesus shows up to rescue Israel and they turn against him. And he goes, boo, and they're all dead. You remember how hard he had to fight to knock down 200 soldiers right before the crucifixion there in the Garden of Gethsemane? All he did is speak his name. By the way, I'm not going to pick on you, Rick, but when you see something in italics in your Bible, it's not emphasized. It means it wasn't there in the original. And look where it, what it says when they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am he. The he is in italics. All he said is, I am, and he knocked him flat by whispering his name. When he comes back, he's going to shout once. Okay. <clears throat> so at that point, it says he'll be setting up his throne, sitting on the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all nations. These are the ones that survived. Only half of them were alive when he showed up, and all the soldiers that were going to fight against him died at that moment. It says, before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. And then he says to the ones, come ye, blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom, not heaven, the kingdom 
prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on to say why. He says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. They say, when did we do all that? He says, when you did it to these, the least of my brethren. You took care of the believers and the Jews during the tribulation. You expressed your faith by taking care of God's people. That proved that you were a person of faith too. Their works revealed their belief, their worldview. They counted it worth risking their life to help the believers and the Jews during the tribulation. And he says, enter into the kingdom, kingdom age. We have that described in, well, all through the, the Old Testament and then uh, laid out pretty clearly in a few verses in Revelation chapter 20. It says it's going to be a thousand years of Jesus reigning on earth. <clears throat> and they enter that on their feet, in their living body. It's not going to heaven. It's going into the kingdom. That's a separate deal. The kingdom of heaven is a period of time on earth when Jesus will be ruling from Jerusalem in person, and the curse will be partly lifted, partly in the sense that people can still die. Uh, people, I don't know if people eat meat or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, people can still sin. People that are born during that time will be born of the sin nature. Uh, and that's why at the end of it, there'll be a huge, huge rebellion that Satan brings up all these people to war against Jerusalem. Okay, So the, the curse will be partly lifted. Animals will be harmless. That's what we read about in, oh, like Isaiah chapter 11, where it says that, <clears throat> that the, the leopard will lie down with the, the lamb and that the, the bear will whatever, and the lion will eat straw like, a, like an ox, and the child will play by the cockatrice or the, uh, what do you call those kind of snakes, the cobra den, and it'll be harmless. The world will be a, a safe place for the first time in history since the flood. <clears throat> and yet, sin will still be there. So the, the curse isn't completely lifted. But at the, end of the, at the end of the tribulation, there's this trial, this judgment, <clears throat> and they're a living nation. Then he says to those on his left hand, says uh, in verse 41, Matthew 31, uh, Matthew 25, 41, then shall I say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungered and you gave me no food and so forth. And they said, when did we not do that? He says, you didn't do it for these, my brethren. They revealed their belief system by their works. <clears throat> and eventually these people end up in the lake of fire. Right now, right then, apparently, they drop into Hades, which is still a place of torment. But what we find is that the, the people in that place end up getting and put into the lake of fire. That, the, that says death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. So that's the judgment of the living nations. It does not fit the Hebrews 9.27 picture, which says it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment, because these were living people. Yeah, some of them died. I mean, they got sent to hell live. Uh, at that point, they were physically and spiritually dead. <clears throat> but what they were showing is what their real beliefs were. A lot of people would look at this and say, see, if you do good, you go to heaven. That's not what that says at all. 
these people during the tribulation age showed what they really believed by their behavior. They, they, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. That's it. Nobody's ever been saved by works, ever. In fact, Paul said if it was possible to be saved by works, then Jesus died for nothing. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if it were possible to be justified by works of the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He died for nothing. Okay. So that's not what this is teaching. It's teaching that our works demonstrate our faith, and that's what he saw. He says, you demonstrated your faith by doing this. You demonstrated your lack of faith by failing to do these things. We're separated on the basis of faith. <clears throat> All right. What about that final judgment? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says that the heaven and earth that we live in now is going to pass away uh, with a great noise and a fervent heat as the elements pass away, the elements themselves pass away. That's an interesting thought. Elements... Uh, as we think of elements, and they may have been just thinking the physical stuff, but as we think of elements, you know, there's so many protons and so many neutrons and so many electrons, and each atom, which is part of an element, a molecule is part of a compound of some sort. You know, a salt molecule has sodium and chlorine. So, but it says that that the elements will pass away with a fervent heat and a great noise. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says that, that he created all things, and by him all things hold together. Well, that's an interesting idea. So what happens if he lets go? And all those protons and neutrons and electrons decide to disassociate. I'll bet you that'd make a fervent heat and a great noise as the entire, our known world and our atmosphere and, and earth go up in one big fusion, fission, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, thermonuclear, this would be the biggest bang. I mean, you know, the people with the Big Bang Theory, they're right, they just got it on the wrong end of things. <clears throat> That's how it's going out with the Big Bang. But in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse oh, 10 or 11, let's go there real quick. But Revelation chapter 20, I'm not going to spend very much time there, but I want to get it right. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 10, we saw that, well, in verses 7 through 10, we saw that this huge rebellion had come up with everybody deciding they were going to war against Jesus in Jerusalem where he was ruling. So as they, <clears throat> they come up against God, against Jesus, the person of Christ, ruling from Jerusalem, and when they gather together like that, it says that God's, God the Father will dump down fire from heaven and burn them up where they are. <clears throat> that ends the kingdom age. And then it says, immediately thereafter, in verse 11, it says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the heaven and earth fled away. Well, I believe what we're seeing right there is the destruction of the heaven and earth. That the physical elements flee away <clears throat> and the reason I think that is because when I get down to chapter 21 verse 1 it says I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away so apparently that's when it happens first Peter describes it uh, Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 says they fled away and 
chapter 21, verse 1, says the old ones are gone and we've got a new one. So what happens in between there? <clears throat> By the way, who's sitting on the throne? Who's, that, who's on that? It is Jesus. How do I know? Because we just read that Jesus is the only judge, and he always has been. Back in John chapter 5, verse 22, he says, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father who sent him. He is the one that's the judge. And Abraham saw him face to face that day that he fed him a beef sandwich and a glass of milk. If you'll forgive my jockeying around, it does say beef and bread and butter and milk. That's what I would do with it and make a sandwich, okay? But... Jesus ate it. And it was after that that Abraham realized who he was talking to and addressed him as the judge of all the earth. Genesis chapter 18, read it. <clears throat> Jesus is the judge of all the earth. So here he is, <clears throat> finally being seen as the judge of all the earth. And he says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Which dead? Okay. Dead believers? They've been where are you? Well, let's see. I'm going to pick on Randy here. Randy, we talked this morning about position and condition. Where are you positionally? That's not what you're, I didn't ask what you're doing. Where are you? You're in, you're in Christ. You're not in Adam. So if you're in Christ, and according to Ephesians 2.6, it says you're currently, right now, seated with him in the throne, why would you suppose that now you get out of him and now you're standing before him to be judged? You're not. You're seated in the throne with him. And by the way, it's going to be hard for us because it's after this and after the judgment, after the new heaven and new earth, that it says he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. There's going to be some tears shed. <clears throat> so the dead that are standing before God are the the unrighteous dead, the, the lost dead of all time, all the way back to Cain, <clears throat> saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. <clears throat> People have asked, are there degrees of judgment? Yeah, there are. Do I understand that? No, I don't. That, I mean, I, I understand that in a flame, there's different parts of the flame. One part's hotter than the other. When I was little, I thought the blue part of the flame was the hottest part. It's actually the coldest part. It's where the, the gases, the, the flame, are just barely getting ready to burn. And up in the top part is where the completion of that is going on. Inside that blue, you can shove a match head inside the blue of a candle flame, and it'll take a couple of seconds for it to light. Whereas if you stick it in the upper part, it lights instantly. Okay, so I know there's different parts of a flame that have different temperature, but in the lake of fire, it just doesn't seem to me there could be any different grades of punishment, but God says there are. Jesus said so. People have hypothesized about that for centuries. Back in 1320, a guy named Dante, <clears throat> I can't remember how to pronounce his last name, it's Alighieri, I think. Uh, see, I wrote it down, see if I can remember. Anyway, we, we refer to the book as Dante's Inferno. It's just, it's, it's, the name of it is Inferno, but I think it's also called Divine Comedy. I'm not sure why he thinks that's funny. Uh, I did write down his name, but I don't see it here. Uh, how can there be a difference in punishment? I don't know, but God says there is. 
and they're judged out of these books according to their works, but they're not found in the book of life. So all of these people end up in the lake of fire. It says that all of the dead that are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. The death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. The word hell there is Hades. It's the same as the Hebrew word from the Old Testament, Sheol. It just means the place of the dead. That used to have two compartments where there was the place of the righteous dead and the place of the unrighteous dead. We saw that in Luke chapter 16, but we also saw that it was emptied in Ephesians chapter 4. And that paradise that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, he went into the heart of the earth with that thief on the cross. But he emptied it a few days later when he ascended and took everybody with him. How do I know? Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that paradise is now up. And it wasn't back then. Jesus spent three days and three, day, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He said so. It was down then. It's up now. It's been moved. <clears throat> but the old place of the dead, or the unrighteous dead, is still someplace in the heart of the earth. I got no idea where. I'm not supposed to know where. <clears throat> but it says that's going to be dumped into the lake of fire. There's a time lapse between the resurrections of a thousand years. The last of the righteous dead are resurrected right at the end of the tribulation. The people that were martyred during the tribulation are raised in glorified bodies. It says they're going to reign throughout the kingdom age with Christ. And it says that's the first resurrection. That's the end of the first resurrection. The, the rapture is the beginning of the first resurrection. It says that the dead shall be raised first, and then we which are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, if you want to read it. So the first resurrection takes a little bit of time. We start it. The martyrs from the tribulation finish it. It says that's the first resurrection. The second resurrection is all the resurrection of the lost. So why this big separation? <clears throat> well, I'm not even dead sure I'm done thinking about that. <clears throat> the only place where we see a judgment going on where the righteous and the unrighteous are mixed together is at the judgment of the living nations. And we already saw that that's not one of the judgments that's after, it says, appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. That one, everybody's alive. And they're mixed in that point. There's judgment going on on earth right now. And the saved and the unsaved are mixed together. Why? While the ark was building, Noah was amongst his unbelieving neighbors. And we read in Second Peter chapter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness during the 120 years that the ark was being built. So that's why he was there. Because God could have just snatched him and the animals off the earth and a God-made ark, you know, instead of having Noah spend 120 years building an ark as a testimony and preaching the righteousness of God as a testimony, but he didn't. He, he left him there to serve as a witness. <clears throat> that is your only purpose here. You may not believe this. You may think of all kinds of things. No, no, God wants me to... Okay, that's fine. He may have you do some other things too, but he left you here specifically as a, per, as a witness. He says, when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, in uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, he says that... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and into Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That is the assignment. 
the Great Commission in, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, there it says 18 through 20, it says, it says all power, all authority, the, the word there is exousia, the Greek word, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Why? Because I have the authority to send you. And that's what he said. And we think, well, yeah, but that was to, the, that was to those disciples. That wasn't to me. Yeah? What did he say? He says, go ye therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. Oh, what did he just command them? Go ye therefore, all, all the world. The Great Commission is to us. That is our, our assignment here. Are there other things we got to do on the way? You bet. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And we think, well, that's what we're here for. If that's all he wanted, he could take us all home. We'll do a better job of loving each other once we're home. Why? Because I won't have a sin nature anymore. I'll be easy for you to love then. See? But God says we've got to do it now while it's tough. We've got to do it now while we're doing the assignment of taking the gospel to people around us. He says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Even that is part of being a witness. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. The agape love that he describes in 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, That's what it's about. <clears throat> it's about separation. <clears throat> God has moved to keep his people separate from the lost throughout the ages. Israel was separated from Egypt and then separated from all the nations, and yet they were left there for a witness. They were to be a witness to all those around them, and they did mingle. People would come in, do business, but if you're in Jerusalem, you had to obey Israeli law. You didn't get the option to just come here and live however you wanted. Okay? They were separate. <clears throat> the only judgment where the saved and lost were together was the judgment of the living nations that we read about in Matthew 25. All those that have died are kept entirely separate. In Luke chapter 16, we see the rich man in one compartment, the place of the unrighteous dead. We see Abraham and Lazarus in another compartment, place of the righteous dead. They could see each other. They could talk across the gap. But they were completely separated permanently. As a young atheist, I was separated from God spiritually, just as Adam and Eve were when, they, when Adam ate that fruit. Remember, nothing happened when Eve ate it. She didn't have the authority. Adam did. Adam had the authority to make a decision for you and me, and he did. He, he fell into sin, and we all fell with him. So I was separated from God. Now I'm joined to him. That's my position. I'm in Christ, as Randy shared. I'm already seated in the heavenlies with him. I don't feel that way. That's just what God says. It's, it's a fact. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 makes it absolutely clear. Jesus reminded his hearers of the story about the flood. Why? Because he said there came a time when the door closed on the ark, and everybody outside the ark was lost. They were swept away by the flood. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about that. <clears throat> so the bad news is there's coming a time when God's going to close the door, and there will no more decisions be made, and no more decisions offered, no more grace being offered. That's the bad news, that the world is lost, it's headed for hell, the good news is you still have time to share with people. You still have time to make a difference. The good news of Jesus dying for their sins and being resurrected and that he's offered his grace and eternal life to anybody that will receive him as their Savior, that's still being offered. So for us, the good news is the door isn't closed yet. 
And I guess I would ask that we open our hearts enough to care enough to open our mouths and tell people. One of the guys here told me about a month ago, he says, I've come to the decision I'm no longer going to stand silent and watch somebody slide into hell. Boy, that's a good attitude to take. You're going to have to take the risk of opening your mouth. Some people end up risking their jobs. Some people risking their popularity, risking the approval of their neighbors. Uh, we all got called a basket full of deplorables a few years ago here, and I decided, fine, I'm part of the basket full of deplorables. Then I'll go ahead and take my stand there. Hebrews chapter 13 says, let us go to him outside the gate. We know we're going to be rejected by the world. And fine, let's step outside the gate with Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we'd ask that you'd open our hearts to allow your compassion to flow through us to the world around us. It's too easy to be angry at the way the world is acting and feel like it's just fine if they go to hell. It's not just fine. We'd ask that your compassion would be in our lives, that we would have the compassion to care, the courage and the conviction to go ahead and speak. Fill us with your spirit and allow us to serve you in the name of Jesus. Amen.